Good morning, everybody. I'll be good morning. I'll be reading today from Luke chapter 23, verse 1 to 25. Um, the Bible's at your seats. It's on page 1641. So Luke chapter 23, verses 1 to 25. Then the whole assembly rose and led him off to Pilate. And they began to accuse him, saying, We have found this man subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and claims to be Messiah, a king. So Pilate asked Jesus, Are you the king of the Jews? You have said so, Jesus replied. Then Pilate announced to the chief priest and to the crowd, I find no basis for a charge against this man. But they insisted. He stirs up the people all over Judea by his teaching. He started in Galilee and has come all the way here. On hearing this, Pilate asked if the man was a Galilean. When he learned that Jesus was under Herod's jurisdiction, he sent him to Herod, who was also in Jerusalem at that time. When Herod saw Jesus, he was greatly pleased because for a long time he had been wanting to see him. From what he had heard about him, he hoped to see him perform a sign of some sort. He plied him with many questions, but Jesus gave him no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there, vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him. Dressing him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. That day, Herod and Pilate became friends. Before this, they had been enemies. Pilate called together the chief priests, the rulers, and the people, and said to them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I have examined him in your presence and have found no basis for your charges against him. Neither has Herod, for he sent him back to us, as you can see. He has done nothing to deserve death. Therefore, I will punish him and then release him. But the whole crowd shouted, Away with this man! Release Barabbas to us! Barabbas had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. Wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, Crucify him! Crucify him! For the third time he spoke to them, Why? What crime has this man committed? I have found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I will have him punished and then release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified, and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder, the one they asked for, and surrendered Jesus to their will. This is the word of the Lord. Well, it would be good to keep looking at that part of Luke as we reflect on it together uh, this Good Friday morning. If you're new or visiting with us, we're so glad you're here, or if you're tuning in online for the first time, or the first time in a long time. Uh, if you're here in the room, there's a, a card hopefully stuck to the chair in front of you that you can scan a QR code uh, and fill in some details so that we can keep our conversation going with you. We'd love to chat more about Jesus and his death and resurrection. It lies at the very heart of history, the very heart of this world, and at the heart of our church. And we'd love to spend time thinking with you about that. Uh, if you're 
wanting to explore that at home on your own, there's two things at the door that you can take. Uh, one is a Bible. If you don't have a Bible to read at home, please take one. That's our gift to you. The other is this short summary of what the Bible teaches about Jesus called Two Ways to Live. And uh, you're more than welcome to take uh, one of those home as well. But this is what we're reflecting on together this morning, Luke uh, 23. Uh, and this is what I want you to, to take home as well as those resources. This is the idea I want you to understand from this passage. That Good Friday is all about the fact that Jesus, the innocent one, dies in the place of the guilty, that forgiveness and freedom may be given and received. That's what we want you to know this Easter. I'm going to pray that God would help us all to know that as we look at the Bible. Let's pray. Our Father, we thank you so much for these moments together and ask that as we think about Good Friday and Jesus, the innocent one, dying in the place of the guilty, that you would help us to understand him rightly, that we might receive the forgiveness and freedom that he gives because of his death and resurrection. We ask this for Jesus' sake. Amen. Uh, well, surprisingly, we were reminded of that summary truth about Easter this week through our federal election coverage. Surprising place to find out about the meaning of Easter and the truth of Jesus. Uh, I think one of the great things about being Australians is that we only have to put up with election campaigns for about six weeks. Isn't that good? Uh, not much longer than that. And this election, I think, has already been rather painful. Uh, it's already embodied what our culture loves to feed on uh, in too many ways. We cry out for judgment without any hope for mercy. We love to create catalogues of other people's failures without any scope for forgiveness. And the Easter message of Jesus stops us in our tracks to say, yes, 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 justice and accountability. And an even bigger thank you for the mercy and the forgiveness that God in Christ pours out to us. With all the finger pointing, with all the mistake counting in politics this week, it was Bill Shorten, former opposition leader, who reminded us all that it was Jesus who is the only truly perfect person in history. Thanks, Bill. <laughs> Wasn't expecting that. But that truth holds true, not just for politicians, but for plebs like you and me. Right? And that's what Luke wants for us to know this Good Friday morning. What he wants to make crystal clear in chapter 23 as he records for us the final moments of Jesus before he goes to the cross where he dies for the sins of the world. He wants us to be crystal clear that Jesus, the innocent one, the only perfect person in history, dies in the place of the guilty, which includes you and me. Well, let's think firstly about Jesus, the innocent one. And that's been kind of a consistent theme all throughout the biographical accounts of Jesus' life and death and resurrection, that he has lived the perfect life that you and I could never live. That's been on display as Jesus continually and consistently and perfectly trusts God 
and obeys God and loves God and serves God and he loves his neighbour as himself with compassion and gentleness and humility day after day, person after person, moment after moment. And as the religious elites plot Jesus' arrest and his execution, we see the other consistent message of the pride and the self-righteous motivations of human hearts that are clearly displayed day after day, in person after person, moment after moment. And as they take this innocent Jesus before Pilate, the Roman in charge, they accuse Jesus with a combination of lies and ironic truth. Have a look at verse 2. They say, we have found this man, Jesus, subverting our nation. He opposes payment of taxes to Caesar and he claims to be Messiah, a king. Lies. He doesn't oppose paying taxes to Caesar. Look back at chapter 20. Truth. He does claim to be Messiah, God's only chosen king. And for these religious leaders, that is blasphemy because he's claiming to be God in the flesh. But they come before Pilate, not claiming blasphemy, but but claiming that Jesus is attacking Caesar. Jesus is claiming to be king. Pilate, who's in charge of keeping the Jews under control, Pilate, who doesn't want protests, who doesn't want other kings and other authorities, who doesn't want rebellion, Pilate, with the brutal arm of Roman might behind him, he can't see the need with this Jesus. What's the big deal, he says. This doesn't stack up. But he stirs up the people all over Judea, they say, by his teaching. And so Pilate, not wanting to execute this innocent man, surprisingly, he passes the buck. He denies the justice. And he sends Jesus to Herod in verse 9. Have a look with me at verse 9, where we read that Herod plied Jesus with many questions, but Jesus gave no answer. The chief priests and the teachers of the law were standing there vehemently accusing him. Then Herod and his soldiers ridiculed and mocked him, dressed him in an elegant robe, they sent him back to Pilate. Not just denying justice, Herod and his muscle mock, they scoff, they taunt, they ridicule. But they too see no reason to execute this Jesus. Verse 13, Pilate called together the chief priests and the rulers and the people, and he said to all of them, You brought me this man as one who was inciting the people to rebellion. I've examined him in your presence. I've found no basis for your charges against him. He's gone through all the legal procedures. There is nothing there. And verse 15, neither has Herod. For he sent him back to us. As you can see, he's done nothing to deserve death. Yet the crowd will not be satisfied. They want Jesus crucified. They've been whipped up by the religious leaders. Verse 18, 
Pilate appealed to them again. Verse 22, for the third time he talked to them. Why? What crime has this man committed? I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Do you think Luke wants us to be clear? That Jesus, the innocent one, is being condemned to an unjust and unjustified death. And it's not just a cruel picture of injustice. It's also a beautiful picture of substitution. That Jesus isn't simply innocent of false accusations made against him. He's not simply innocent of these trumped up charges. He's not just a victim of injustice that we're meant to feel sympathy for and admire from a distance. No, this innocent one, Jesus, is a sinless substitute who we're being given to trust and to adore. Because he's not just innocent of these uh, false accusations and trumped up charges, he is infinitely perfect and sinless. Unlike anyone in history, he has lived the life that you and I could never live. As the perfect, innocent, sinless son of God, who doesn't just die as an innocent victim, but as a sacrificial substitute to die in the place of the guilty like you and me. In order that he, the sinless, perfect one, might take our guilt upon him and God's judgment in our place to enable the forgiveness and the freedom that we so desperately need. God establishes for us from the lips of Pilate and the obvious circumstances of Jesus' sham trial that this execution is unjust. But it's also the necessary sacrifice for Jesus to bear the sins of the world and to turn aside the wrath of God. And as Jesus has been at pains to make clear all throughout Luke's gospel, all of this is no mistake and it's no accident. It's all according to God's plan of salvation. It's all what was promised long ago. As we already read from Isaiah 53 this morning, this is all according to God's planning and foreknowledge, his purposes and his promises. Let's pick up Isaiah 53 again where we left off at the start. Listen to these words of hundreds of years before Jesus' trial and execution and see if you can hear in these words from Isaiah what we're reading in Luke 23. You'll see it on the screen. That he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. He was assigned a grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death. 
though he had done no violence, nor was any deceit in his mouth. Yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days, and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied by his knowledge. My righteous servant will justify many, and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great, and he will divide the spoils with the strong, because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressions. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressions. Jesus, the innocent one, dies in the place of the guilty. And who in this passage is not guilty of the blood of Jesus? And who in this room is not guilty of the blood of Jesus. But it was my sin that held him there until it was accomplished. And Luke wants to make crystal clear that there is no one innocent in this whole uh, episode as Jesus stands before the crowd and he stands before the government and he stands before the religious leaders, all of them with his blood on their head. Have a look at verse 18 with me. But the whole crowd shouted, away with this man. Release Barabbas to us. Barabbas, who had been thrown into prison for an insurrection in the city and for murder. But wanting to release Jesus, Pilate appealed to them again. But they kept shouting, crucify him, crucify him. For the third time he spoke to them, why? What crime has this man committed? I found in him no grounds for the death penalty. Therefore, I'll have him punished and then I'll release him. But with loud shouts, they insistently demanded that he be crucified and their shouts prevailed. So Pilate decided to grant their demand. He released the man who had been thrown into prison for insurrection and murder. And the the one they asked for and surrendered Jesus to their will. Luke wants us to see that there is universal guilt for the death of Jesus. Who's responsible? Verse 1, the whole assembly. Verse 18, the whole crowd. Who's responsible? Herod and his soldiers in their mockery and ridicule. Who's responsible? The religious leaders in their lies and their self-righteous rejection. Who's responsible? Pilate and his refusal to seek justice and his weak and his wrongful actions. Who's responsible? Barabbas, who gets to go free as Jesus dies in his place. That exchange of Barabbas, the guilty for Jesus, the innocent, The one deserving death is set free. The one deserving praise is executed. A murderer they save. The prince of life they slay. Luke wants the innocence of Jesus and the guilt of every other party to be clear. There is blood on so many hands. 
But where do you stand? Where do you find yourself in Jesus' story on Good Friday? Pointing fingers at others? Cataloguing the failures of those around you? Do you render yourself innocent of the sin that took Jesus to the cross? See, whether we close our eyes to justice like Pilate, or whether we scoff and mock and dismiss Jesus as king like Herod, whether we pridefully reject Jesus based on our own achievements and abilities like the religious leaders, whether we know our guilt and stand condemned like Barabbas, the reality is that none of us can stand before the judgment seat of God. We all live under the sentence of death for our failure to trust and to obey, to love and to serve the God who made us and who loves us. And before the just judgment of God, we have one and only one plea. That the innocent one, Jesus, bled and died for me. I have a very vivid memory whenever I read this passage and see Barabbas going free and Jesus going to the cross. Very vivid memory as being a a teenager and hearing a song called Call Me Barabbas. Remember that one? Maybe not the best song in the world, but wow, it's had an impact on me. Nathan Tasker sang it and he wrote it in his bedroom in a similar sort of moment, reflecting on the fact that Barabbas is that picture of all of us, the guilty going free as Jesus dies in our place. Crucify, they shout so loud. The angry death wish from the rabble crowd. We want Barabbas set free. The death of one man is all his freedom costs, but I can't help thinking Barabbas is me. And Jesus set me free. So call me Barabbas, because that's who I am. All I deserve has been given to him. The guilty set free, the innocent must die. A lifetime of sin is all that I know. I should have been killed, but Jesus let me go. I can't forget the death of that man. It set free Barabbas, and that's who I am. Jesus, the innocent one, dies in the place of the guilty. That is all of us. take our sin and bear God's judgment that we might go free and know the forgiveness and the eternal hope that we so desperately need and crave and long for and God so graciously provides. Friends, whether for ease or power you've failed to do the right thing, whether out of fear or rebellion you've chosen to do the wrong thing, whether you've shaken your fist at God, whether you've yelled at him to get out of your life or simply closed your eyes and pretended like he doesn't exist, 
whether you've scoffed and dismissed his claim to be king or you've rejected him as saviour because of your own self-righteousness, all of us need the forgiveness and freedom that the death of Jesus purchases for us. It's the only means of a secure hope. It's the only means of perfect rest. Jesus, the innocent one, dies for the guilty He dies in our place. So don't wave your finger at others. Don't close your eyes to God. Don't shake your fist at the world. Don't throw up your hands in despair. Don't cling to your own credentials or wallow in your own guilt. But come and bow your knee to Jesus this Easter to receive from the sacrificial saviour king what you so desperately need and he so lovingly gives he gives himself for you let me pray our father we Thank you so much for Jesus and his sacrificial death on the cross, the innocent for the guilty. We are sorry for all the things that we have failed to do and all the wrong things that we have done. We are sorry for shaking our fist, for closing our eyes, for throwing up our hands. And ask that you would help us this Good Friday to bow our knee and submit to Jesus as King and trust in him as Saviour that we might receive from him the life, the hope, the freedom and the forgiveness that we so desperately need. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen.